0: My name's uh, Larry Locke. I'm just sort of rearranging the furniture here. Um, if you don't know me, that's okay. I teach uh, business at UMHB. Yeah, right. I'll, I'm really pleased to be with you. I love these, um, these meetings that you, that you have. I'm very thankful to see what Pastor Flieger and others um, are doing to build this ministry? You are a group of people that can just be very isolated, right? I mean, most people at your age and stage, um, you tend to live alone. You may be very far removed from, um, you know, from family, uh, your family of origin at least, and you've not lived here that long. So it's not like you have this massive network of friends, you know, that are really close to you, that are all built up. Um, and in this context providing this opportunity for all of you to come together and to um, love one another and care for one another and know each other. I just think that makes a ton of sense, right? So here you have this opportunity to be family and friends for one another and so that none of us has to be alone. And tonight I just want to bless you in that. And I want to charge you to love one another and to care for one another and to be a blessing to each other. I understand that our project for this, fall, uh, this spring rather, is to explore the role that our bodies play in our faith. And over the centuries, there have been small groups of Christians who believed there was no real connection between what we did with our bodies and our faith. And I think Pastor Flieger introduced you to the Gnostics uh, last month as an example of such a group. That is dangerous heresy, right? But mercifully, it's quite rare. It's much more common, both in history and in Christians today, to act as if there is no relationship between our bodies and our faith, even though we would say we believe that there absolutely is a relationship between our bodies and our faith. If you were to ask the average Christian, hey, does Jesus care what you do with your body they'd all say, oh, yeah, absolutely he does, right? Even though, uh, even though they, you know, they may act completely contrary to that idea. That proposition seems to be held um, in pretty uh, low uh, level of commitment in a lot of contexts. I know that all of my drug addict friends would agree that God absolutely cares what they do with their body, even though at the exact same time they're killing their cells, right, uh, with narcotics. And I think that dichotomous relationship between what we say we believe and what we do with respect to our bodies tells us something very important about what we think about our bodies. Of all of the things that we want control over in life, our bodies are right at the top of the list, right? I mean, I want control over that. If someone wants to say something unkind to you or or be angry at you, or something like that. right? You might be unhappy if they did that. You might even be angry at them. And that's, that's one thing, that's a bad thing. But if they strike you, right? if they grab hold of you, if they somehow you know, harm your body, that's a very different thing. Right? That feels sort of different, and not just in, in, in a measured way, but in a categorical way, that feels like a different thing. We demand, that people have control over their own bodies. In medicine, uh, uh, doctors have to get consent before they perform some procedure on your body. Even if it is absolutely necessary to save your life, a doctor cannot operate on you without your consent because we want to respect this autonomy that we want people to have over their bodies. In the criminal law system, our most severe punishments are reserve for the people who somehow impact us bodily, right? You can be punished much less for stealing billions of dollars from millions of people than you would be from harming one person's body. I mean, it's just very different in this sort of categorical way. Even in ministry, I've seen that. I mean, once when I was ministering in Mexico... There was a lady who came into the church where we were working, and I asked her if she might come back to the service that we were going to have that evening. We were just there in the afternoon at the time, and I asked her if she might come back. And she said no, that that she couldn't because her husband would be home. He wasn't out during the day, so she was able to come and and be part of what we're doing. But in, in the evening, he would be home and he would be drinking, and so she couldn't leave. And when she said she couldn't leave, that is exactly what she meant. Because if she tried to leave, he would beat her up. And I told her as a pastor and as a minister of the gospel, that she didn't have to stay in a house with a man who hit her. Her body was her own and no one gets to hit her. As modern people, We want people to have complete control over their bodies. We want it. We want to have complete control over our bodies. We expect it. We'll fight for it. Hmm? What does it mean then to dedicate our bodies to the Lord in worship? Will it mean that I have to give up control over this most personal aspect of the self? We would die defending our right to control our bodies. Will God ask us to give that up? These are nervous questions, yes? So I think we should proceed honestly, but also carefully, because they're nervous questions. So if we're going to get very far with those questions, we'll need to understand what we mean by worship, because we tend to think of worship to mean singing worship songs, right? We know what that looks like. That's what worshiping is. That's why we have this guy who's called the worship pastor because he sings worship songs. Does it passing well, I might add. Um, but for tonight, we mustn't think about worship in that limited sense. Remember, Scripture defines worship much more broadly. In Romans 12, Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. This presenting of your body, this giving over your body to the stewardship of God is a spiritual act of worship. This is not a spiritual act. This is your spiritual act of worship, this giving over of the rights to your body. James defines pure and undefiled religion, we could think of it as worship, as visiting orphans and widows in distress and keeping oneself uh, unstained by the world it has to do with how we live and what we do when we think about worship I'll just say if you're one of those people who wants to understand this biblical concept of worship but you really don't like reading then Larry has a really good idea for you you should read the, the letters of brother Lawrence you ever read the letters of brother Lawrence oh, they're the best and really short really small right? Uh, he's widely regarded as one of the most important writers on the topic of holiness uh, in all of church history. But he actually wrote very little. All we have of his are just a few letters. Right? Lawrence was a monk in 17th century France. Uh, he wasn't a famous preacher or scholar or, or, or anything like that. He actually was a cook. <laughs> his job was to cook in the monastery. Right? That's, that's what he did. Uh, but he understood that everything he did was an act of worship. And he wrote this down in some letters to some friends. He famously said, I pick up a straw from the ground for the love of God. The biblical concept of worship is quite all-encompassing, right? Work can be worship, and rest can be worship, and play can be worship, and studying can be worship. And eating and drinking and taking a shower can all be worship. This is all worship. So, to capture that biblical concept of our understanding of worship and the body, for tonight I thought we should read one of the most fundamental texts of all Scripture. Uh, it's in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 9. I'll bet we can get it on the screen if we all sort of, you know, close our eyes and do this. Um, it 's a very famous text, which many of you will recognize i 'm wondering if one of you could read it for us anybody anybody want want that? You can share my microphone anybody want to want to read the text What do you go man can, And you want the mic or you just want to turn up the volume and Let us hear it go, man. Pretty good, right? And he had the volume up and everything. Can we give it up for, for the brother there? Well done, mate. Good job. So this text, which our good brother read for us, um, is, I would say, it's the most fundamental text of Judaism. Jews uh, pray this. They recite it twice a day. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment, this is the scripture he quoted. Right. This is where he went. Right. This is the most, um, this is the greatest uh, the greatest commandment. Um, and if we don't understand the demands and the promises of this text, then we've missed something very fundamental in our Christian walk. The Jews refer to the scripture as the Shema, uh, because the first word of it in Hebrew is Shema. Right? Um, that's the here in Hero Israel is the Hebrew word Shema. But it doesn't mean here in the same sense that you hear a song on Spotify, right? Um, it's the kind of here that brings with it a sense of authority and an expectation that you're going to do exactly as you heard, exactly as you were told. Some languages have different words um, for here that sort of capture that distinguished distinction between the two. English is sort of impoverished that we only have um, the one word, um, but in French we would say that écouter, is, we'd say écouter if you want somebody to listen to something, like listen to a song on Spotify. Um, um, but we would say attendee, for which we get the English word attend, uh, if you want them to hear and obey, you know, attendee, um, my son, if I want him to hear and obey, right? It's, and and this, this word in Hebrew is that kind of hearing, right? It, it's the kind of hearing, like like, remember when you were a little kid, and you were playing outside and you heard your mom calling, right? And it, you know, and it's starting to get dark and she's calling you and she's telling you it's time to come in. Do you, do you remember this moment, right? It's just that kind of hearing, right? It's the kind where she used both your first and your middle and your last name when she called you, you know? Arnold Horatio Smith, you know, whatever. Get yourself inside, right? Um. Yeah, when she really sort of cranked up the, the formality on it. It's that kind of hearing, like when you're listening to your mom. Right? So I guess we also better know um, what are these words that the Lord is commanding us to uh, to hear. What are these words he's talking about? If you look at this text in Deuteronomy 6, you'll find that it follows immediately on the heels Uh, of Moses repeating the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5, right? The very foundation of the law, the Decalogue, right? These Ten Commandments. God is telling Israel, and He's telling us, right? He's telling us, listen to my law. Hear it. Hear it in the way that you heard your mom calling uh, telling you to come inside. Do what I tell you. Here it is. Now, as modern Christians, we sort of struggle with this idea of obeying the law, right? I mean, come on, man, didn't Paul say that, that Jesus came to set us free from this hyper-prescriptive Jewish law? Absolutely, Paul said that, and absolutely, Jesus did that. But the ceremonial law of, you know, making sacrifices and these endless rules of what to wear and what to do and what to say in order to be ceremonially clean, that's not what Moses is referring to in Deuteronomy 6, right? He's looking back at the Ten Commandments. And Jews use this word law in a very um, different way than how we do it. Um, the word that we translate law in the Hebrew is Torah. You've heard that word before, right? And, and it's, it's more often in Jewish literature, it's more often translated uh, teaching than it is law. And right? it's the kind of teaching that a father would give to his children that they love. That's a sort of wise teaching. That's what the Torah is. It's sometimes, I think, better translated as the way. Right? This is the way. And if you read on in Deuteronomy 7, there are promises for those who walk in the way. Right? God makes Israel all these promises that they'll receive. He promises them that all their crops are going to be huge and all their herds are going to multiply like they're going to be rich. Right? It's, going to be, it's going to be great. And everybody's going to have babies. Right? He promises them that they're all, you know, you're going to have babies and you're going to have babies and you're going to have babies. and you're, Everybody's going to have babies. Right? That's what he sort of promises to the, uh, uh, to the Israelites. And he also promises them that no one's going to get sick, that there will be no diseases. That's a pretty hardcore promise, right? Only he goes further than that. Right? He says, not only are you not going to get sick, And won't have any diseases. But God promises to give all the diseases to their enemies. (laughs) Right? I mean, God is going hardcore strong for the Israelites here. Yeah? I mean, not only are you going to make... He's going to make sure that you win and never get sick. He's going to make sure that all your enemies lose and get sick. I mean, it's pretty... I mean, he is totally all in on on these promises. So now, here we are, right? With all the stakes on the table. God says, "Yeah, I'm asking you to give up your rights in that one part of yourself that you hold most dear. That one part that you're so interested in protecting. I want you to use your body to worship me. All day every day. I don't want you to talk about it on that special Ash Wednesday, you know, meeting once a year. I don't want you to talk about it every Sunday." Right? I want you to talk about it every time you come in and every time you go out. I want you to talk about it every time you lie down and every time you get up. The most basic activities of life, the things that you do with your body all day, every day, I want those things to be a reminder to you of your opportunity to worship me, to walk in my way, and to receive all of my blessings. Now, the Jews take this stuff pretty literally, right? On the doors that go outside of my house, I have these little mezuzah nailed to the doorframe. It's really just a tiny little wooden, wooden box, and it's got a scroll wrapped up in it, and that scroll has Deuteronomy 6 on it, right? So I literally have this scripture on my, on my doorframe. Orthodox Jews will still wear the phylacteries in some sects. You know, the little box, have you seen these? The little box that they wear either on their forearms, strapped by a leather strap. They wear them on their forearms. Sometimes they wear them on their forehead. Just when you get home, Google phylactery and you'll, you know, you'll get a good picture of of what it is. And and before you dismiss that as being sort of, ah, you know, super old fashioned or sort of hyper legalistic or before you dismiss it that way, just bear in mind that Jesus probably wore one. You know, I mean, the picture of Jesus in the nursery at my church growing up, he wasn't wearing a box on his forehead there, but he probably did. Right, because they kind of did when when, uh, uh, during his day. So just you know, before you dismiss it, just you know, know that. One of the ways our Jewish neighbors remind themselves uh, to walk in the way is that they have blessings, and they got blessings for everything. Right, like when they open their eyes in the morning, they might say, "Uh, "Blessed is he who gives sight to the blind." When they get out of bed they might say, blessed is he who sets the captives free. When they put on their clothes they might say, blessed is he who clothes the naked. When they put their shoes on they might say, blessed is he who provides for all of my needs. Um, When something bad happens they might say, blessed is he who is the true judge. Uh, And uh, when something good happens they might say, blessed is he who is good and gives good things when they see something beautiful, or when they see someone who is beautiful, um, they might say, blessed is he who has made such as these in the world. And that's just, um, that's just a really great opportunity for us right now um, to be a blessing to one another. So can I have that on the screen, yeah? Blessed is he who has such as these in the world. And if that's just a blessing for seeing someone beautiful, um, could you just um, try it with me? It's okay. Can we, can we say it? You ready? One, two, three. Blessed is he who has made such as these in the world. Now just take a moment and just turn to the person on either side of you and say, blessed is he who has made such as these in the world. Go on. While we're young. Right? Right? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well done. This is us caring for one another, right? Blessed is he who has put such as these in the world. So let's just put it out there, right? As modern people, the one thing we hold most dear is that only I get to decide what to do with my body. But Paul says that worship means for me to sacrifice my rights over my body. The Shema tells me I'm to dedicate everything that I do. The most common activities of the body, day after day, uh, I have to sort of devote those to God in order to walk in his way. Not in my way. Is God trying to take away my autonomy? Is God trying to make me into a robot? Is God trying to control me? The answer is, certainly not. The Lord your God is all-powerful and the sustainer of all that was and is and is to come. If God wanted to control you, you would be controlled. True? If God wanted to control you, you would be well and truly controlled. Jesus shows us this. Jesus himself, right, has limitless cosmic power. In Matthew 26, when one of his disciples, you know, pulls out a sword and tries to defend Jesus by cutting this poor fellow's ear off, Jesus says, you know, you don't have to do that. If I needed defending, I have a legion of angels, (laughs) Right? I don't really need you and your sword. God, Jesus has this sort of limitless cosmic power. But you can read all four Gospels from end to end to end to end to end. And you will never see him control anybody. Ever. The only things Jesus controls in all of those Gospels, he controls demons, he controls animals, and sometimes the weather That's what Jesus controls. He never controls people, and he doesn't control you. Now, if he wanted, we all know where that goes, right? But he doesn't, because he doesn't want to. Yeah, you are free, dear friends, free to choose to walk in God's way, to devote your body to his worship, and to receive all those blessings and promises He has for you. You are also free to choose death and disease and destruction, if that's your preference. God has called us to walk in his way, and it's a big call, right? We're offered the chance to experience the life of Christ and the love of God in everything that we do with our bodies, all day, every day, when we rise up, when we lie down, when we go in, when we uh, 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 when we leave out, right? When we put on a clothes and we see something beautiful, it sounds all-encompassing because it is. It's all-encompassing because God is engaged with us at an all-encompassing level. In Matthew 10, Jesus says that, that he knows the number of hairs on our head. Right? This is where you can insert you know, your joke about how small that number is for Larry if you want to. The point is that every organ in our bodies, every cell in our bodies, is known by God and loved by God. And it always has been. You've read that psalm probably, Psalm 139, where uh, where the psalmist says that you knit me together in my mother's womb. God carefully and lovingly and wisely built you cell by cell, organ by organ. And he loves you at that same level. Now, no message from Larry could be complete without him talking about his grandchildren. My daughter, Ginny, has this one-year-old baby named Elizabeth. She's named after my wife. And Ginny takes good care of her daughter. She clothes her and feeds her and bathes her and takes care of her and plays with her every day. And she has a very keen eye for all the details about her daughter. And one time she asked me, Hey, Dad what do you think is this bump, you know, on Liz's arm? And I'm looking and i thinking, what bump? What are you talking about? And she, she sort of tries to get me to see this imperceptibly tiny, you know, little, little something on her daughter's arm. And I tell her, Ginny, I think it's probably fine. I mean, it, it might be a freckle, right? Huh? She notices everything. She knows exactly how long. The baby napped and exactly what she ate and how many ounces of formula she drank two weeks ago, Thursday at 2.30 p.m. She knows all of this stuff. She knows everything about her daughter and notices everything about her. So a question for you. Is my daughter, it's an important question, is my daughter so invested in her baby because she's trying to control her? Is that the plan? Is that why she's doing that? Is that why she pays such inscrutable attention to her? Is it because, you know, the end game is that, and thereby I'm going to control you? That's not what's happening, right? That's not, that's not what she's doing. She totally delights in my granddaughter. And she totally delights when the baby says something that she's never heard before, when the baby does something that surprises her, or, you know, when the baby sort of runs over and tries to grab something that that she's never seen before. She delights in all of that. Now, she'll try to steer her away from the light socket, but that's because she loves her, um, not because she sort of tried to gain some kind of existential control over her. Well, that was the first. Here's the second question for you. Do you think my daughter loves her baby more than God loves you? Do you think so? It's not close. (laughs) Right? As much as she loves this little girl, as much as she dotes on her baby, God loves you infinitely more. We recognize that my daughter loves her baby because we see in her this very faint image of how God loves you. Uh, That's how we know that she loves her daughter. It's because she has this very tiny reflection of how God cares about you. Now, we rarely acknowledge this. We rarely acknowledge the depth of God's engagement with our person. Every part of our body, every moment of our day, everything that we do. And our Jewish neighbors are only slightly better than us at that. But... Does our not acknowledging this mean that God is not engaged with us? Right? Is that what it means? Does it mean that he's moved on to people who are more attentive or more aware about him, and maybe he'll circle back with us after we get a clue? Is that what happens by our failure to engage? And to acknowledge that God has engaged us at that level? Certainly not, right? Our failure to acknowledge God, does that change him? I mean, he's, he's, he's immutable, right? He doesn't change. Our failure to recognize the depth, the tremendous depth of God's engagement with us, his investment in us, our failure to recognize that doesn't change who he is. doesn't change what he thinks. doesn't change what he does. Right? That's not who God is. It doesn't mean that he's out of the picture. It does mean, however, that we are out of the picture. We are the ones who are walking blindly through this life. The activity of God is happening all around us and we can't see it. We don't see God's activity because we're so terribly focused on our own activity. We can't keep ourselves walking in God's way and receiving all the blessings that are laid out right in front of us in his way because we are so attuned to trying to craft our own way, right? however difficult the terrain might be. God is still speaking to us even as we do that, even as we wander. Right? God is speaking to us through all five of our senses. He is speaking to our bodies, if we can only hear it. He speaks to us in every sort of glorious Sunset, And we get some really glorious sunsets, you know, in nowhere, Texas. The, the land is really flat and the air is really bad. And as a result of that, we get really good sunsets. Now, this is the place to be. And God speaks through those. He speaks to us in every kind word that we get from a friend. Blessed is he who makes such as these. He speaks to us in a really good cup of tea or a soft pillow uh, or or something that some... Old ball guy told you once, right? He speaks in all, of these, in all of these ways. Speaks to all of our senses. So our time grows short. And I understand that we end these meetings with communion. So I asked Mrs. Flieger to get us some of this unleavened bread uh, for tonight. You recognize it. It's just, a, it's just matzo, right? and i would just say that our communion that we do in this church our communion that happens in every christian church including the church i pastored the, the communion that we do is such a pale imitation I mean, it's such a lousy substitute for the passover seder in which jesus inaugurated this um this act of communion right every year at our house we do a big passover dinner and, and it's this huge meal with you know roast meat and vegetables and that. it's it's kind of kind of amazing, right? And we use um, all the different plates on the table, all these different vegetables and 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 bread and things on the table. We use those together to tell the story of the exodus from Egypt. And so it's it's an all five senses thing. We're eating these things and telling the story, and the children have to play games to sort of find the hidden piece of matzah, and the youngest child has to go and open the door and and see if Elijah is going to come and take the empty place that we. Set for him, and we, we, we read the story, and we sing songs, and we recite uh, um, blessings, and we, we sort of pray these prayers over one another and light these candles. I mean, it's a, it's a very elaborate thing, uh, and I promise you, it's a five senses celebration of God's deliverance, and my children will never forget it. You learn stuff through five senses, you will never forget it. And they, they come back every Passover and they bring their children because they want their children to know about God's deliverance. And they want their children to never forget it as well. Yeah? Yeah. So I tell you that story just to remind you that this isn't all there is. <laughs> right? That God's just not communicating you through one piece of, cracker or a drop of juice that's not the extent of God's engagement with you it's not the extent of his communication with you God is speaking to you through your body in a hundred ways listen to all of it dedicate all of it to walking in his way and and receiving his blessing so before I break this bread I I just want to offer you a next step it's nice to have next steps right sort of okay Larry what now And you ever ask that at the end of the sermon? Well, what now? I'm actually pretty good at that. At Vista, we're pretty good at. Okay, well, what now? Um, So I just offer you this: identify something sometime this week, like today. Identify something that you do every day in which you're prepared to commit to bless the Lord every time you do it. Think of something. Something that you do every day that you would commit to bless the Lord every time you did it. My wife and I pray together every morning before we get out of bed. Actually get up first and make tea and then bring it back. And then we, you know, do the praying thing um, before we get up. But we'll sit there and bless the Lord for the new day that we've received, right? And all that he's offered to give us in that. We bless him when we have our meals. We bless him together when we get in the car to go Someplace together every night. Um, uh, when I uh, lay down in the bed, I'll put my hand on my wife's head and I'll uh, bless the Lord that she would uh, sleep well and be well. And those are just examples. Don't do what we do. Do what you do, right? Although if you could swing by at six o'clock, this, you know, tomorrow morning and brew tea, I would bless you for that. I would bless you if you if you could take that one on. Um, but you pick something that you do, right? Something that you do every day. And and know how you'll bless the Lord. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be poetic, right? Blessed is he who has filled the earth with such as these, right? If you get stuck, try that. You can you can have one of those. But if you pick out that one thing that will remind you to walk in the way, that it will call you forward. It will call you forward for everything that you do, so that everything might be an act of worship. Um, if you Hebrew. want a Hebrew one, I can give you one for uh, blessing bread. Jesus would have used a slightly artic- a different articulation of this because Jewish blessings kind of changed in about the 5th century. We changed in the 400s. We changed the way we articulate them ever so slightly. Um, but uh, uh, modern Jews uh, modern Jews would take bread just like Jesus would take it, and they would hold it over their heads, and they would say, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu Melchalam. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the ground. Right? Jesus then would have distributed it to, um, to you, but I think it's probably a little better given the illness that's still abroad in the world that you just come get your own. Right? So you don't have to have everybody touch your piece of bread you know, as it comes to you. That just sounds like a, a better idea. Um, if it's okay with you, though, I'd like... I'd like to bless you, if that's all right. Um, you might have to stand for this part. These are blessings for young people, but they're different for men and, and women. Can I start with the boys? Is that good? Can we start with the boys? Up you go, boys. Come on, man. While, while we're young. Huh? Yeah, so remember, this is not in the nature of a prayer. Don't bow your head. It's not like that. Look up, look up and receive the blessing of God. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech ha'olam, Ka Ephraim ka'ephraim ikimnashe. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe. May the Lord make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. This is a traditional blessing for the boys. And remember that Ephraim and Manasseh were the two tribes, the sons of Joseph, who got the double inheritance. May God give you a double portion. All right? All right, how about, how about the ladies? Come on up, you go. Receive the blessing of God. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu Elohim. Kasarah, Yirivkah, Rachel, Valiah. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe. May the Lord make you like Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel and Leah. Remember, those were the women who created the people of God. Not just by the babies that they had, but by the prayers that they prayed, by the work that they did, by the relationships that they nourished. They created the people of God. May it be even so with you. Uh, Grace and peace to all of you.